The 90th edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. Black holding high, goes to Darty. Darty and the double team gives it back to Black with 20 seconds left to play. Goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! Rebounded by Weber. Michigan out of timeout. Weber, front court, Carolina with foul. He takes the timeout, they're out of timeout. Technical foul, technical foul on Michigan. Ed Corbett says he can run the baseline, hands in the ball. Brown gets it into Williams. Here comes Williams front court. Williams on the drive. Gets it back out to him. Long outside shot. Short rebounded. May. It's over. Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72. And how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champions. Matthews off the mark. And this year, the confetti is going to fall for North Carolina. They're not going to be denied this time. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony back with you guys today. Getting you ready for Carolina-Florida State. That game will tip off tomorrow at 2 p.m. over on ESPN. We're going to break down the Seminoles, update you on some stats regarding Carolina, give our keys to the game. But before we do any of that, We start every preview edition of the pod, as we always do, with our pod thought of the day. We go back to old Roy Williams, and we we may have used this one before, but I don't think we did. But even if we did, I think it applies to where this team is right now. Uh, And Roy said, persistence prevails when all else fails. And Carolina right now, 17-7, 9-4. They've just got to keep plugging along, getting after it, trying to get better every day. I know it's so cliche, and it's really frustrating to hear because this team could be better than what they've been so far this season, but they've they put themselves in a position to make the NCAA tournament as long as they keep doing the little things that they need to do on the court and get some help off the court as well as they got last night. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show, but that's how it applies to the team on the court. As for you, just keep showing up every day. I've seen improvement over the last month or so of your co-hosting abilities on the pod. Still got a lot of work to do to get you to my level, but as long as you're persistent about the work, I do have faith that you'll become your own form of a basketball aficionado in your own time. Yeah, you know, I am putting in the work every day to make myself worse and worse to get to your level. That, you know, it's hey. it's a work in progress. You know, it's a steady decline is a, what I'm looking at and hoping to eventually accomplish. That really hurt. I, I give you a compliment, you deliver an insult. If that's what you consider a compliment, <laughs> you may want to reevaluate your approach to compliments and life. I, I probably need to do that anyway. Let's get, before we get to Florida State, we had some news come out yesterday that wasn't overly surprising, but overly important to Carolina, which is Dawson Garcia is going to miss the rest of the season. We kind of thought we were getting to that direction. He'd been gone for about a month dealing with a family issue. Uh, and he's had a lot of family issues over the last year and a half, two years or so with the, the pandemic and, and stuff like that. Um, we still want to, you know, send our thoughts and prayers out to Dawson Garcia and his family. It's it's amazing that a kid in his position could realize what's more important. And look, winning basketball games, to us, it's it's very important. And it's, it's, it's going to be very important. But there's nothing more important than family. Um, so kudos to him for taking the time and realizing, hey, I need to, I need to walk away and, and be here for for my family. But it's it has, it has impacted Carolina up until this point, and it's going to impact this team for the rest of the way because without him now for the rest of the year, we lost Anthony Harris a couple of weeks ago with an academic issue. Your depth is pretty much gone. You're playing seven guys, maybe eight, but that's a that's a maybe. It's more it's more Honestly, it's starting to become more like six. Yeah. So, and, and yeah, you're right. It's it's an I'm not going to say an inconvenience. It's an obstacle, mm. but it's a necessary obstacle because it's something that 
especially the situation that he's going through. And if you guys didn't read the post that he put out, pretty much his grandmother is on her deathbed. His dad uh, had a battle with COVID that was rumored at, you know, a couple of weeks ago uh, was was bad. Yep. I mean, he was in the hospital and, you know, the, the, there, there were people that were wondering just how serious it could get for him. So he's on the road to recovery, which is great to hear, but you can imagine that that was probably very scary. And then I believe he has also lost his grandfather yep. here recently as well. So there's a lot that's going on. And I know that there's there's people that, you know, might look at it and, 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 and look at how they handle deaths in the family and stuff like that. The, the thing is, is look, everybody handles it differently. And this is, I mean, this is unlike many situations that I've ever seen um, where you have that many family members go through death or near-death experiences yep. in that short of a period of time. So it is very understandable why he has to step away. And, yeah, I, I was a little bit shocked by the amount of Tario fans that were maybe a little taken aback or or gave the reaction of, man, this is such a huge loss because, I mean, I get it, you're right, but I feel like we were kind of headed towards this. Yeah. I, I really feel like we kind of knew this was coming with how many games in a row he had missed. Um, there was no timetable. We kept hearing that. Um, you really felt like if he was coming back this season, they would have. There would have been a game where they would have said, "Hey, he's not back tonight, but by next week he is going to return to campus, and we're going to see him going through practice, and th- and then we'll evaluate." But I, it's it's something that we knew was coming. We know it's a challenge going forward, but the good news is is Carolina's been playing like this for a little bit now. They've sort of adjusted their rotation. They've adjusted how they've had to play. And I think now it's just something where the team was probably told, hey, expect when when he initially left, they were probably told, hey, expect that he's going to be out a while, maybe for the rest of the season. Now it pretty much probably just confirms that, hey, guys, it's what we thought was going to happen. We've been preparing for this. Let's just, you know, do what we've been doing, and this is the team we got for the rest of the season. It does bring up, though, an interesting topic because this idea had been thrown around even before he officially walked away from the team was that there were already rumors that he was going to transfer out of Carolina mid during the year or after the year. And you got to remember... This was a guy that Carolina recruited heavily two years ago, but when they got Walker Kessler, that you know effectively ended his recruitment. He goes to Marquette. Marquette fires their coach. Carolina hires Hubert Davis. That previous relationship, he transfers in, and he was the guy we were the most excited about a punt transferring in, even more so than Brady Manick, obviously for Justin McCoy. And it's fair to say that even though he's averaging nine points per game, he hasn't lived up to I think the expectations many of us had, myself included, upon his his transfer. And with the way the rotation went at the beginning of the year where he was starting and wasn't starting and, you know, stuff like that, there was this conversation that was coming from the message boards that exist on, <laughs> on, on the Internet that he'd be looking to transfer. And I think it's an interesting topic to, to discuss is that we may not see him in Carolina in a Carolina uniform again. And if you're just projecting forward, if that's the case – Carolina is going to be in the same spot again this offseason where they were last offseason. So, so, didn't mean to cut you off. So, yeah, you did. The, the issue that I have with this is that there is no concrete evidence that he was transferring because of his role on the team. Right. Do I think it's a possibility that this is the, that, that we've seen him for the last time in Carolina Blue? I think it's possible because this is a scenario where when you have something like this happen in life where this many family members are ill or this many family members pass away in a short period of time, it does kind of make you reevaluate what exactly you're doing in life, really more about where exactly you are in life. Uh, Is there a way that I can get 
closer to home, mm-hmm. to be closer to my family while still being able to do what I ultimately want to do. I think that's we've seen that scenario play out plenty of times in life um, with some of our own families. So I think it's possible, but I think that the speculation on the message boards is exactly what it is. It's message board fodder. It's, it's somebody came up with that because they want to believe that that's true. They want to believe that he he's upset with the role or whatever. Right. When really, I mean, look, he, he started every game but the first game of the season before he then had the game against Boston College where he gets his head sat on, on the floor, picks up the concussion, and then has to work his way back from that. And then eventually... He ends up coming back into the rotation. They wanted to work him back in slowly because I think they were a little bit hesitant as to where exactly he was. They didn't want him to you know, be out there for too long, take too many hits or blows inside. And then he ends up, before he can get back into the starting rotation, and who knows if they were actually going to go back to him, but he was still playing a significant role, then he ends up going back home to take care of this important family situation. So I, I think that's it's way too tough to speculate on that. Unless he actually comes out and says that, I don't think that you should think that's the reason why he is transferring if that ends up coming to fruition I think if he does transfer it's more than likely a personal decision to be closer to family members that right now frankly need him and 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 maybe uh him get him closer to family members that he needs where he's at mentally and everything like that which I think at that point we should all understand yeah I you know I can't walk back the criticisms I have uh, I've had of him during the year um, I'd like to see him back next year because I do think there is there's so much talent and potential that exists, but you know, in his in his basketball world, that I, I do think he could be a big time player for Carolina. But that should come second. Take care of the family. Take care of yourself, and the basketball will take care of itself. Let's go ahead and move on to talk about this game's opponent, Florida State. And it, you know, two three weeks ago, this was looking like to be a big game for Carolina. Because Florida State had rounded into form, they had, you know, they, they they beat Duke on their home court. They had vaulted to the top of the ACC standings. Malik Osborne goes down and effectively down goes their season. They've lost five straight games, most recently at home to Pittsburgh. And if you don't follow the ACC closely, Pitt's not very good. Um, and they were able to go into Tallahassee and beat Florida State, as the Knolls are now sitting at just thirteen and ten. They're six and seven in the league. Um, they've only got two players actively on their that are playing that average double figure scoring. Malik Osborne would be the third, but he's out, so they've only got two. And it just hasn't been the type of year I think we've grown to come to expect from Florida State. They're one of the schools that fit into the whole new blood category with the Baylors and the for even Virginia to a certain degree, the Gonzagas, these these programs that haven't been historically great. But within the last five to ten years, they're an, they're a factor in the ACC tournament. They've made numerous Elite Eights in the last couple of years as well. So we've we've come to expect them to win 25, 30 games, be a relatively good seed in the NCAA tournament, and at least make the second weekend of the tournament. Doesn't look like we're going to get that from them this year, but this team, despite the record, still poses some issues for Carolina on both ends of the court. Well, yeah, the most interesting part about them is what usually is the most interesting part about them, and it's the fact that they've got probably some of the best sides that you're going to see all season. They have three guys on the roster that are 7'1 or taller. Um, Now, again, some of those guys don't play as big of a role as you may expect at that size, but I think there are a couple of guys that are interesting. John Butler is the one that I think most people are going to look at the most because he's 7-1, and you're talking about a guy that is one of the best three-point shooters on the team as well. So far on the season, I mean, at 7-1, he is hitting 39% of his threes, and that's on 22 of 56 shooting. 
So you're talking about a guy that has the size and can space the floor. That's uh, There are some different challenges with them. There's other guys that have been there for a while, names that you'll probably know like Anthony Polite, uh, Raekwon Evans, guys that Carolina has seen a lot before, and you know they're just scrappy guys. But they don't have the type of guys that in the past couple of years have really hurt Carolina on the inside. They don't have those scrappy guys. They don't have that knockdown, jump-shooting guard. Um, I mean, Caleb Mills, he has a little bit of that in his game, but his shooting numbers aren't all that great so far this season. And then they're, the other guy that's over double digits is a guy in Matthew Cleveland who doesn't even start. He's not a full-time starter for them. He started four games this year, but that's out of 23. So... They're a very interesting team. The thing that's tricky about them is it's hard to kind of get a read on exactly where they're at at this point. Now, they're coming off one of the worst losses of any team in the ACC this season to Pittsburgh at home. So there's going to be that extra motivation factor as well. It's it's one of those teams that you Carolina cannot afford to overlook. They shouldn't overlook anybody on the back part of this schedule. But this is definitely one of those teams that you could look at right now and say, yeah, they've fallen off. Because there was a time, you're right, there were people, including ourselves, that were putting them in the conversation for the second best team in the ACC. Yep. We thought, this team's turning it around. They are going to potentially be a threat, not only in the conference, but if they can get it together... Leonard Hamilton's a good enough coach. This could be a team that makes a run in the NCAA tournament. And you lose Malik Osborne, now everything's going in the wrong direction. Don't let this be one of those games where you tell yourself, hey, they're a completely different team, and you end up getting surprised by how good this team actually is with the parts that are currently there. Similar to what I think you saw on the road at Louisville after they lost uh, one of their stars. Yeah, I think the thing we know about Florida State, first off, Leonard Hamilton is a great head coach. He's going to have his guys ready to play. They're going to play hard. They're not going to beat themselves more often than not. But they have a talent issue this year, injuries and stuff like that. So their margin for error, kind of like yours, isn't very high, which is why they have the record that they have, and that's why their season has spiraled out of control following the loss of Malik Osborne. Um, and they're still going to pose a challenge to Carolina. They got three guys on their roster that plays minutes most nights that are still seven feet one or taller. So they're going to have size and length on the court. And Carolina's got to find a way to combat that. Speaking of Carolina, they come in with a 17-7 and overall record. They're 9-4 and in the league. And last night, without playing a game, They've got a quad one win on their resume. I think that's the best way for this team to get a quad one win is by picking it up by not playing. And I think it was all because yesterday I had John Crispin on the show. He called Michigan-Purdue later that night in Ann Arbor. Michigan blasted Purdue. Blasted them. And I think he spoke it into existence. And all of a sudden... Carolina has one thing on their resume that makes you feel more confident about them being in the NCAA tournament. But Hubert Davis said in the postgame he doesn't know what a quad one win means. Or not in the postgame, in his pregame interview availability today before tomorrow's game against Florida State. Again, I I said this earlier. I don't know if he is saying I don't know what it means a quad one win means. I think he... To me, he's got to know what that is, right? Because he's he's still around. I mean, he he's still, he's got to still talk to a lot of these guys at ESPN. He was so close with these guys. I mean, Reese Davis did forty five minutes on him, <laughs> in, in, in in the video that we saw uh, back in the preseason, I think he knows. I think what he's what somebody I think may have referenced the fact that hey, you got a quad one win without playing last night. I think he was saying. I don't know, what do you mean we got a quad one win? I I think he's a little confused, maybe on the fact, I think like a lot of us are, that the quad, the, the wins 
can switch quads throughout the year. It doesn't make any sense. Now, I've said that game earlier in the year against Michigan should have been a quad one win. That was a ranked team at the time. It should be based on the win at the time that you play the team. Because as we, this opponent that we're talking about here, there are teams that would have had a quad one win against a Malik Osborne-led Florida State team. That was a good win at the time. Now, it definitely wouldn't be seen as as good of a win. And let's say they go on this huge losing streak. There could be ACC teams that that was the best win on their schedule at the time. Completely different team. Now that win is a quad three win or something like that. That doesn't make any sense. So maybe that's what he was saying there. It's definitely the it's definitely tricky because the other thing that's interesting about it is we talked about zero and seven. Now they're one and seven in quad one games. Yep. But that can also fluctuate too. There are teams that Carolina has lost to that could drop back. Like one of the teams I think to keep an eye on right now is Miami. That could eventually fall into a quad two loss, which, okay, that takes a quad one loss away, but that actually ends up hurting Carolina more because then it becomes a quad two loss. So there's so many different things that go into bracketology now where when we were young, just a few years ago, quad one, quad two. Didn't exist. Didn't exist. They had no idea what that was. You just went off of the actual, you listed out, this is who you beat. Yep. And it was more about who you beat at the time. So we'll we'll have to see. But Look, Carolina's not in a position to worry about the particulars. They they need all the help they can get on the court and off the court. And and that's that's the one thing that they didn't have. That's why they've been put on the back end of the tournament fields because they didn't have one of those. And you said it, and, and it's something that I think stuck in my mind all week. There has never been an at-large team that has made the NCAA tournament without a quad one win. And, so, and, and as much as I love the team and the program, I don't want Carolina to be the team that gets in off a of brand, which is ultimately what probably what would happen because you want the brand in the tournament, you want the, the viewership. Haven't we been there, though, already with Syracuse? A couple of Syracuse's years ago, I feel like they doesn't got, compare to Carolina's brand. But I, but if you're saying that Carolina is the first ever team to make the tournament based based off of a brand, I don't think that's true. I think Syracuse a couple years ago got in based off the fact that they were Syracuse as compared to some of the other teams on the bubble. Well, so I wouldn't be concerned about that. But no, I mean you're right. It's huge. But here's my thing about it. This is something that we should bring up, but we should not be celebrating this. No. None of this matters if you don't take care of the rest of your schedule. Every game but Duke is winnable, and I'm still that crazy SOB that thinks that even the game against Duke is still winnable because it's a rivalry matchup. You need to take care of business before you worry about this. Yeah, this is great. This is something that the 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 people like us should be talking about the fans should be maybe you know pointing out on social media and maybe a little bit excited the players shouldn't be worried at all about this cuz none of this matters if you if you go out and lose this game against Florida State that quad one win doesn't mean anything yeah and you know John Crispin told me yesterday he thinks if Carolina goes 5 and 2 and doesn't go one and done in the tournament he thinks they're in with the quad one win now, that makes it easier to think that. But I still think the the expectation, the final seven games, is to go six and one. That's the expectation. The only game that you theoretically should lose is at Duke because of yes, the I, opponent. I, I'm with you because I think I know that at Virginia Tech's a tough game, but that's going to be another. That's going to be a quad one win that if you if you, that that you would earn if you win that game and if, if you, and if, that could be a bubble team versus a bubble team and if so you, you got to get that it done. win you're not you know safely in the field but then I don't think you're sweating out selection Sunday which is where look that's where Carolina is right now we made it I think we made it out to be a lot worse last year than we than it actually was because of how bad they were at different times in the year and how they were squarely on the bubble at different times in the year. This team, even though their record is going to be better than last year's record, they don't have – now they have a good win. Last year's team had – they had the, the mixed bag of good wins and bad losses. 
That's why they got the seeding that they got, and that's and they, and they deserve that. Carolina's right now; they're still trying to build an actual resume, and the only way that you can do that is by taking care of the games that you should win, like tomorrow against Florida State. But also, you got to go to Virginia Tech and get a win. If you go to Duke and win, you're they're going to put you in the field regardless because that's the toughest regular season game in the history of college basketball that you would have won. You you win two games in the ACC tournament like this team did last year, okay? Because I. I Carolina's on the bubble, and I think their seed line stops at 10. I, I don't see this team becoming a top eight seed unless they win the mm, ACC tournament. Yeah, that's tough. I could see them probably getting to a nine seed just because if things keep going in the direction that they're going around you, which, you know, I saw somebody last night that said, you know, are we really that excited about Michigan getting a win? Because that could be a team that we're battling on the bubble down the stretch. Head-to-head matters. That's the most important thing. What do you have to worry about that? Why would you not be excited? Also, if Carolina takes care of their business, who cares if Michigan makes the NCAA tournament? That would be that'd be great. Good for that that helps Carolina out. That would help their seeding. But Michigan is a team that's starting to round into form. Virginia is a team that is quietly starting to put together yep. a resume. Now they're still on the outside looking in in a lot of the yeah. brackets that I've seen, but you, but you, you've got. I that think they're going to get in though. But I you've think, got that win over them, right? And I think eventually that team's going to climb in because so I think I. with what they've done the last few years, they've built enough of a reputation where if they pick up one more significant enough win, they'll probably put them in the field. So, every, there are elements around you that are out of your control that are helping you right now. You have to control what you can control. Control which the is the, the schedule ahead of you. And as we've talked about a couple of times here over the last couple of weeks, this is not your normal stretch run of the season. Normally, this stretch is, is brutal. Is, is a gauntlet. And you're staring down multiple double-digit lost teams down the stretch of the season. Very winnable games for yep. you. You've got to take advantage of it because right now it's there for the taking. And... I don't care how inconsistent you've been this season. You are better than six of the seven teams that you play to close out this season. Right. I 100% believe that. Now I, it's about doing it. I think the thing about their final seven games, they can't win their way into the NCAA tournament, but they can lose their way out of it if they lose a game like at home to a Florida State, at, at an NC State. See, I don't know, though, because I kind of agree with you, and I think you – sort of contradicted yourself a little bit. I mean, if they beat Virginia Tech, I mean, that could that could kind of win you in. Now, of course— It would just solidify that they're in the tournament. Because right, if, the, if right. the season ended today, they're in, they're that's, in the tournament. That's, that's winning yourself in. I think if you win that game, as long as you don't lose before Duke, I think you're fine. I think you could then lose that Duke game and you'd probably still be in. So Yeah, we're going to wait and see. None of it matters, though, unless Carolina doesn't take care of business tomorrow. The good news is, is that Carolina is 12-1 and at home in the Smith Center, but the last time we saw them in the Dean Dome, it wasn't very pretty. They, they, they suffered that 20-point loss at home to Duke in a game that wasn't even that close. They've still got four players averaging double-figure scoring, led by Armando Baycott, over 16 points per game and over 12 rebounds per game. And they are still sixth in the country in defensive rebounding per game at over 29.5 defensive rebounds per contest. So we're going to take you a quick break. We'll get you this week's ad from DraftKings. Then we're going to come back. We got our keys to the game as Carolina looks to uh, get back in the win column at home against Florida State. As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, Bacon and Ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy. Available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The moment we've been waiting for since September is finally here. In honor of the big game, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56, is giving new customers 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. DraftKings is now live in New York meaning you can bet from almost a third of the country. If Sportsbook isn't in your state yet, play DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest for Super Bowl 56. 
New customers can get a free shot at a $1 million top prize with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code TBPN and get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. 21 or older, minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Void where prohibitive. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Tennessee. Call or text to Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text hope ny 46 Seven three six nine. Really hope you guys are taking great advantage of all these great offers, both on the four corner side of things. Same for Anthony over there on the Heel to Blog podcast side of things. Make sure you go to DraftKings, use those promo codes, get you some extra uh, cash right before Valentine's Day. That way, you get your special someone that special gift this holiday. Let's get into our keys to the game for Carolina. The first one, I think, is kind of what they've been coming against Florida State for the last handful of years because of all their size and length and athleticism. Carolina's got to finish at the rim. And last year it was different because Carolina had four bigs that they could throw at Florida State. And you remember that game in Chapel Hill, they dominated them on the interior. Carolina's not built the same way as they were last year. No Garrison Brooks, no Walker Kessler, no Dayron Sharp, no Dawson Garcia for this year's team. So you've now you've got just two bigs. And one big, Brady Manick, primarily plays on the perimeter. He'll get on the block sometimes, but he's a he's a stretch four. Which means that this really falls back to Caleb Love and R.J. Davis. And this is something they've struggled with on and off throughout the season. I thought the other night at Clemson was some of the best finishing they've done at the rim. They both made some tough shots close to the basket that Caroline needed them to make. And we needed them to make in this game. And um the biggest thing is just you got to be tough enough to finish through the contact and shoot it and shooting over the length. They, I think the problem, especially with, with RJ, is whenever he's going up against a longer defender, he just kind of throws it up and, and hopes he's either going to draw a foul or hopes it's going to go in, as opposed to when he just takes it strong to the basket and maybe draws a foul, maybe doesn't finish, but there's Armando Baycott to clean it up, something like that. It's all about being aggressive but being under control when they're when they're, when they're aggression. That's thing I think that's the one area with them this year that they haven't grown from their freshman and sophomore years is being aggressive, but it being a controlled aggression. Against Florida State, you gotta be aggressive, but it's gotta be under control because you're not gonna get these bailout calls against all that length that they that they have. Well, that's the thing, is also they're gonna close out very well on the ball and you're gonna have some shots that get blocked. But I think the other key with that is that you got to stay with it. You're going to have some shots that you think you've got great looks at that they're going to make plays on, but yep. you've got to keep being aggressive and driving the lane. And you're right. We thought that was going to be one of the big things that this new system was going to be able to do for those guys because we thought that was primarily with R.J. Davis really his best game. That was when the offensive uh, you know, efficiency of this offense – was at its best to drive the lane, get those defenders crashing, and then you can kick to a big man or kick out to the perimeter. And I don't think Carolina's done that enough. I think early in the season, you were getting a lot of those shots to fall from the outside, even with the tough looks, and you started to just settle for those tough looks Mm. and find ways to knock them down in the games you won. And not be able to knock it down consistently in the games that you lost. I think against Clemson, they started to realize, look, the only way that we're going to find a way to win this game is by going to the basket. And I think that's when they've done that this year, they have drawn the fouls. You're right. I think they get too too foul happy at times trying to draw them. Primarily, I mean, you pointed out R.J. Davis – I think Caleb Love has almost been worse at times 
where he will just completely release the basketball up straight into the air trying to draw the foul and nothing's called leading to a live ball turnover. So they've got to be aggressive going to the basket. And the other thing is, is fin- you talk about finishing at the rim. I think that one reason you can be confident in this is even early on in the game on Tuesday night against Clemson, Armando was struggling with some of those easy looks right at the rim. But he closed the game very well. He finished the night 8-for-10 from the field overall. He started to get more aggressive finishing at the rim, dunking when he had the opportunity, um, and, and, and just, you know, in, in general, doing a better job of taking, uh, of taking the easier baskets instead of trying to make it more complex, trying to draw the foul himself. When finishing, so I think that's going to be one of the keys in this game is for him to continue what he did, especially in that second half against Clemson, finishing strong. And I think he's really the key to all of this. I think the guards for sure have to be aggressive at the rim, but you need Armando when he has those opportunities inside, finishing those because recently some of the losses that Carolina has suffered and even some of the games that you know Carolina has won but that have been closer than we expected were because he had the great looks and he just wasn't finishing the way he needed to inside. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a team effort in terms of, and it really comes down to the, the, the toughness, playing with that level of toughness that they that you got to against Florida State because Florida State's going to, I'm not going to say they're, they, they play dirty, they play physical. And when Carolina's matched their physicality, they did last year in Chapel Hill, 2019 with Leaky or with, with Kobe White squad. Carolina's been able to beat them and sometimes do it rather convincingly. But last year, when well, they the won- o- the other thing is, yes, they have the size, but a lot of these guys are not the bulkiest players. Like they've got some size on them, but most of them are tall, lanky dudes. So if you body them inside. You can knock them back. It's just about can you get the shot over the big high risers. Yeah, yeah. and so it'll be something that, you know, I think it'll be something we'll be able to tell very early in the game, kind of like, okay, is their mindset right when attacking the lane? And really, especially if Carolina settles for three-pointers early, you'll be able to tell they don't have a lot of confidence. They, they can finish around the basket. The second key is Carolina's got to protect the ball because Florida State – Steals the ball on average nine times per game. That's just that's just in steals. So they're they they're going to force turnovers in some capacity. And look, Carolina's done pretty good at home about not committing turnovers. They had just eight in that loss against Duke. Go back though to the last time we saw this team on the court against Clemson. Seven of them in their first in the first thirteen minutes. They were able to get that under control the rest of the way. But for a team that's coming onto the road. Having lost five games in a row, they're going to need a lot of help to win the ball game. And the way you can help them is by gifting them the ball. And the biggest issue Carolina had, you know, a few weeks ago was every time they were turning it over, they were handing the opponent two points. That stretch at Wake Forest and at, and at Miami, the the points off of turnovers were astronomical, and why Carolina got blown out. They've done a much better job when they've turned the ball over. Do not give up points as frequently, but they still can't afford to turn the ball over at that high rate and give this team that's going to need a lot of help to win the game to stay in the ball game. Well, this is the way that they are going to win the game is defensively. They are not score they they are not a great scoring team overall. And now with Malik Osborne off the floor, they're an even worse scoring team in conference. But you're right. The last time Carolina played somebody that turn the ball over as often as Florida State does was against Miami. And that was one of the biggest issues for Carolina in that game and was what led to it not only getting away from Carolina but completely getting out of hand. Not saying this game is going to be exactly the same because as you mentioned in that one, you allowed over two points uh, per turnover in transition. Now that's unheard of. That's mm. nobody allows that much. That's that's a that's terrible. Um, and I don't think this is there that Florida State's going to be able to pack that punch, but it's still important. And look, this is still an issue. You're coming off a game against Clemson where, I mean, even in the first half, you only had eight turnovers in the first half. Those were some of the ugliest turnovers that I have ever seen. Now you got lucky. Can that, you define a pretty turnover? 
besides I, I an mean, apple turnover. But from you're, KFC. you're talking about just multiple times Caleb Love just throwing the ball directly into Clemson players' hands. Uh, there were a couple that were just balls thrown straight up into the air, not even remotely close. I guess attempted shots that were just turnovers. I told you in that game, because Clemson made very similar mistakes in that first half, that looked like a game at a local YMCA at certain points where just nobody could hang on to the ball, guys diving all over the place, nowhere near the basketball. It was just ugly. For for better, look, that looked like a church basketball game. Sands me on the court oh, dropping 35 on God. one leg. We were talking about realistic examples, not fictional okay. examples. It looked like many of the church league basketball games that my team participated in, I just didn't commit the turnovers. Because you were sitting on the bench. No. Very good. Very good. I but was yelling at them for making the turnovers. It's – and, and you know, this is now two games in a row from Caleb Love where he has turned the ball over four more times mm. and has pretty much been the biggest reason why turnovers have been an issue in both games. So, we'll they have to take care of the basketball – and yes, it all starts with Caleb Love. Because you may be saying, well, is his backcourt mate turning it over as often as he is? Not even close. You're talking about R.J. Davis turning it over once against Duke and did not turn it over a single time against Clemson. Which, which So I it's think, completely different. Which I think brings us to a, a conversation that we, we should have had maybe after the Duke game. And we'll do it here really quickly. I think... I think Caleb Love needs to play off the ball. Yes. And I there's your discussion right there. There's no discussion. The fact that RJ Davis is not your primary ball handler, well, with what we've seen from these two guys recently, like the hardest is reason, mind blowing. The hardest reason to get to that point was because I, I, I still think RJ is at his best playing off the ball, but I think but he Caleb can, Love is so detrimental with the ball in his hands whenever he's not engaged that it it, it it's 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 cost you games and it almost cost you a game the other night. See, this is the thing is that yes, I agree with you on RJ, but I think that it's more it's it's almost the argument that you see in a lot of other sports too where it's like we have to put our best 5, our best 9, our best whatever we in order for Carolina to be at their best, it feels like R.J. Davis at the point is probably what would lead to the most success. Because I think, you know, when you, when you talk about what you want from a Carolina point guard, you want a guy that can attack the basket. And I think that R.J. Davis is better at attacking the basket than Caleb Love is. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree that I think shooting-wise, both guys are better catch-and-shoot players. But I, I think, yeah, you, you kind of just got to pick the lesser of two evils right now. They're two combo guards that their, for, their primary position probably isn't point guard, but somebody has to play point guard. And I think if you look at Carolina's best five, I think R.J. Davis gives you... R.J. Davis at point guard gives you your best five on the floor. Well, the thing is, is Sheber Davis talked so much over the summer being able to interchange those guys, like Carolina did with Marcus Page and Joel Berry, and they rode the, all the way to a national title game appearance, but we haven't seen that. I mean, we've seen it a little bit here lately. Now, part of that is because when Caleb Love comes off the floor and Kerwin Walton comes on, Apparently, there's nobody else off the bench that you feel is ready to come into the game. Yeah. So, we're seeing a little bit of it, and I'm going to be honest with you. I think at times, the offense has flowed better because there's less turnovers and... Less bad shots. I think, ah, I mean, I think bad shot. Either way, I think ball, both guys... Ball moves better. I do, yeah. And I think you you see the guards attacking the rim better. Primarily, you see R.J. Davis going straight to the lane and looking to draw a foul or kick the ball. And I think we need more of that. Not only, we're talking about it a lot in this game, 
But I think that's going to lead to more success overall for Carolina. So, I, 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 yeah, I'm with you 100%. And I've said it a couple of times this season that he's the guy that you need running your offense right now. Last key to the game is is Carolina's got to reestablish that you're not going to come into the Smith Center and win. And that's going to be a challenge just because the last time they played at home, they didn't play very well. So there's going to be a challenge for the crowd to show up and be energetic and get behind this team because this team still needs it. But it comes back to the players because up until the Duke game, the one thing we could count on every every game this year was that at home they were going to show up. Because for 12 games, they had showed up and they had played the way that they're capable of playing. And then in the biggest game of the year, with a lot on the line at the time, they came out flat. But Carolina's got a handful of home games left. They need to win all these home games because they're not against Mm -hmm. great opponents. Um, Florida State has had some success in Chapel Hill, not a whole lot. So Carolina's got, they've got to reestablish that coming into the Smith Center, is going to be a problem, and that starts tomorrow, and it starts with the crowd, but it starts with the players, too, coming out, 2 o'clock, being ready to play and play hard for 40 minutes. I mean, look, it wasn't stunning that Carolina lost that game to Duke last Saturday. It was stunning the fashion that Carolina lost that game to Duke at home with the environment that you had on hand. The good news is, is that, remember, last year, you were dominant at home. You lost only one game at home. And the one loss was an embarrassing loss in blowout fashion to Marquette. You bounce back from that in an environment where you had no fans. This time around, you have the fans that are going to be in attendance. You would imagine it is still going to be a pretty good environment. Nowhere near the environment that you had for Duke, but nobody should be expecting that. You've got these things going in your corner But yes, you have to reestablish the fact that that is the place where you pick up the majority of your wins. You're going to take care of business there. And I think, still, if they take care of business there and they they, they do what they have to do against NC State, you feel pretty confident that even as long as the if if they lose at Virginia Tech, as long as that loss doesn't get out of hand, and of course you would imagine in that scenario they fall to Duke. As long as you take care of the games at home, you still feel pretty solid about where you're at, especially if Virginia can continue to trend upward heading into the ACC tournament. So that. That is the key, is continuing to be dominant at home in terms of winning those games, putting together that dominant record at home. You can't let that one game get to you, and nor should you after that. It was an off night, and hopefully, you know, part of it is going to be hopefully you can get some of your guys back in rhythm, primarily your guards uh, who have shot much better at home than they've shot on the road. Carolina enters with an 80.5% chance to win the game, according to ESPN's College Basketball Power Index. And I think that, I think they're going to do just that. I think this game will kind of feel like the Virginia Tech and the Boston College wins where the game wasn't pretty. But Carolina makes the plays they got to make to win the game. If they want to go the NC State route and shoot lights out and blow this game open and be over at halftime, I'm all for that as well. I don't think that's how it usually goes against Florida State, even when Carolina has beaten them. But I do see Carolina getting back in the win column tomorrow and giving us a fun addition to the podcast later tomorrow night. Yeah, I, I think so as well. Um, this this Florida State team was definitely hurt by the loss of Osborne. They're a different team. And, uh, yeah, they've got the size that you would feel like could bother Carolina. But – they're, I mean, you look at their rebounding numbers. It hasn't really paid off because, yeah, they're a tough team inside, but I don't think they're as tough as they've been in the past. I don't think they're going to be uh, these guys that, you know, I think could out-rebound Carolina, you know, by 5, by 10. I don't see that happening in this game. I think Carolina probably wins the rebounding margin against a bigger team. And the other thing that Florida State usually does when they win these games against Carolina is, 
They shoot the lights out. Not a great shooting team. So I think everything offensively for Florida State uh, is something that Carolina can counteract. And with the way this defense has played for most of the year, that feels good to say. Um, I think Carolina offensively, we saw it against Clemson. I think they're going to know, look, we've got to get downhill. Our guards have to get downhill and get to the basket. Um, I think Armando getting off the schneid in terms of finishing well at the rim is going to be huge. Uh, and I think we'll pay dividends in this game as well. And I think Carolina gets the job done. Back at home, I think they know the importance of being able to win these types of games at home. And I think they really just know the situation that they're in. Even though you're in the tournament field right now, uh, you've shown that, especially with the way that you've lost games this year, it could be easy for you to be on the outside looking in with one loss. I think Carolina knows that. They play with a level of urgency in this game, and they get the job done at home in the Smith Center. That is going to wrap up this edition of the podcast. Before we let you go, get over to the website, HeelToughBlog.com. There'll be a preview article up previewing tomorrow's game against Florida State. Of course, there'll be a recap article posted up there as well shortly after the game goes final. Football side of things, go back, check out uh, all the the news Anthony has for you guys. Ray Velasic back for a super senior season. Anthony gave you the 10 prospects to keep an eye on for the for the 2023 class. And, of course, we'll be getting you ready for the NFL draft as we continue through the pre-draft process. Senior Bowl just completed last weekend, and they got uh, NFL Combine invites were sent out earlier this week. So check out all that great coverage on the website, HeelToughBlog.com. As for the podcast, you know where to find us. We're on the Basketball Podcasting Network. We host through Megaphone. You can find us on every major podcasting platform. Simply just search the Four Corners Podcast, like the pod, review the pod, but most importantly, hit that subscribe button. That way you don't miss any edition of the podcast during the rest of the 2021-22 basketball season. Well, this is going to wrap up this edition of the pod. Do want to thank Anthony for hosting with me. I want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. The Four Corners Podcast is a proud member of the Basketball Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter at HoopsPodNet or visit our website, www.thebasketballpodcastnetwork.com to find the best basketball podcast.